0: The reading of the Scriptures as we find it in Isaiah chapter 51, verses 12 to 16. I invite your reverent and faithful hearing of God's Word here in Isaiah 51. I, I am He who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the Son of Man who is made like grass? and had forgotten the lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy and where is the wrath of the oppressor he who is bowed down shall speedily be released he shall not die And go down to the pit. Neither shall his bread be lacking. I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: One of my uh, favorite uh, parts of uh, Pilgrim's Progress is when uh, Christian finds himself in uh, Giant Despair's Doubting Castle. Now, I don't know if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't, I would encourage you to do so. I'm kind of wondering, uh, given the text, if I shouldn't reread it uh, because i find myself in Doubting Castle all the time. Uh, I think one of the elements of our fallen nature, our depravity, is that we just sometimes worry ourselves sick uh, over things that we really, in effect, have no control over whatsoever. Uh, we, We have a way of being drawn to bad news. It's like if we were to have separate the congregation this morning and someone would be over here telling a wonderful story and someone over here a bad story, I think everyone would gravitate over towards the bad story. We just have a way of loving bad news. Think of the daily newspaper. Uh, the headlines are always, that's right, bad news. And so we worry and we fret. Uh, we get anxious. And so in Pilgrim's Progress, a Christian is in Doubting Castle. He's doubting God. Uh, And uh, he is uh, beaten by giant despair and he wonders if he will ever survive. You know, woe is me, Uh, Life is undone. And then he remembers, if you recall the story, uh, that he has a key of promise. And he uses that key to get out of Dadding Castle to return to his journey. Well, our text this morning is is a key of promise. Uh, I understand that all of us go through difficult times in life. We fight sometimes difficult battles. Uh, But God gives us a key of promise. I think this text this morning fashions uh, just such a key. Uh, It is here that the Lord affirms His promises of restoration in His servant. As is quite customary in this portion of uh, the prophecy of Isaiah, there is a near fulfillment in the nation. Uh, But the distant fulfillment is really our our concern in the church. Uh, So we will try to trace both. Uh, Israel is in Doubting Castle, Babylonian captivity. She's singing the great hymn, Woe is me, Uh, I am undone. Uh, It's going to be this way the rest of my life. Doubting the promises of God. Uh, And she is in despair. And so the prophet writes to reaffirm the promises of God to Israel in Doubting Castle in the midst of despair. Uh, The first promise, uh, the first, if you will, portion of the key of promise is the certainty of God, thereby establishing the certainty of restoration, verses 12 to 14. Uh, in effect, this is a lesson in uh, theology. Uh, God begins the text, I even I. Uh, he describes himself as the one comforting Israel. Uh, the greatest key promise that all of us have is our faith, knowing uh, that God is our comforter. Uh, you know that word as a very being a very prominent word in the theology that begins Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, that we're to be comforted in light of the fact that God is our God uh, and that he controls our destiny and that he will affect our restoration from beginning to end. Uh, The basis of consolation in this particular text is very important to grasp, and that is the essence of theology, Uh, that doctrine is eminently practical. I think one of the greatest vagaries that has infected the modern-day church is that we should not study doctrine because it divides the church. That really is a bunch of nonsense. It's doctrine, it's theology, it's understanding who God is and what he does and why he does what he does that is the very essence of our comfort and the key of promise in our lives. Uh, The first essence, doctrinal truth, that's taught to us here in the text is the big word for it is anthropology, the doctrine of man. Uh, notice, notice the question uh, in verse 12. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? And the son of man who is made like the grass. They're in captivity. Uh, Babylon rules over them. Babylon was just a collection of men. And so God is telling the nation, who are you that you were afraid of a bunch of men? The particular word for man here stresses his weakness and his impermanence. Man is simply a passing creature. He comes upon the scene and then he dies. He is mortal. Again, the immediate context is Israel's captors and tormentors, but they will not prevail because of who God is. Let's turn to the psalmist here that Uh, speaks in a very beautiful way of this great notion of the promise of God in light of uh, all that men bring our way. Sometimes they bring great fear. Uh, Perhaps you have a boss that's troubling you. Uh, How can we uh, survive? The psalmist speaks to this in the third psalm. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice and he answered me from his holy mountain. Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. The psalmist learns as he writes in the text of the fear of man, but he knows of a greater fear, the fear of God, given the majesty and the sovereignty of God. The parallel in our text is not just the mortality of man, the man who dies, but the son of man who is made like the grass. It's a spin, as you recall, from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 to 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Man is like the grass. he comes upon the scene like the spring flower, and he blossoms but for a short period until the rising of the hot Oklahoma August sun. Then he sheds all of his blossoms, and he dies and he perishes. And so it is in the way of man. So it is sometimes in the ways who, of men who capture our affections and devotions. We need to understand that they are but a passing momentary event of life, that it is God who is supreme. It is the word of the Lord that abides and stands forever. The reminder to the uh, Israelites was that uh, Babylonians tormented Israel. They took them into captivity. They say to Israel, you're God lost. You will serve us. And it will be easier in your service of us if you will become like us. Again, it's important to recognize who it is who utters such nonsense. Men, men like the grass, men like the flowers of the field. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And the word of the Lord to us are the keys of the promises of God to grant us hope and encouragement to remind us that our God will prevail. Men come and go. The word of the Lord is forever. And His purposes will stand. The application of this text is not to fear man, but to fear God. The second theological truth that naturally follows the doctrine of man It's just simply the doctrine of God. And in their fear of man, they have forgotten God. Notice verse 13. That you have forgotten the Lord your Maker. It's a dangerous failing. Uh, We elevate man, we give him too much prominence, and we forget God, and we rob him of the prominence that is his by virtue of who he is. Be very careful of forgetting God and who he is. It's a dangerous failing. Uh, let's look at the prophet Jeremiah who has a measure of astonishment over this failing of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 2, in the 32nd verse. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. I mean, the imagery here is pronounced. I'm I'm not an expert in weddings, uh, but I have this notion that brides oftentimes uh, save their wedding dresses and their veils. It's a happy day, a day to be celebrated. Uh, can a bride forget that day? You would think, absolutely not. She will cherish it forever. I mean, I cherish my own wedding day. You can come to my home and look at pictures in my house and know of my own Uh, cherished wedding day, and yet Israel, who was to cherish God, honor God, love Him, and remember Him, and keep Him, has forgotten God their Maker. It sets in motion a sense of astonishment. How could you do that? How could you forget God? And yet we go through life sometimes with all of our anxieties, worrying, wringing our hands, uh, our brow furrowed, and yet our Pockets are filled with the keys of the promises of God. That God is our maker, defender, our shield. He is our hope. Yes, we walk by faith. Yes, we live a life in terms of tension. But God is in control of it all. Uh, Of course, that's why they're in captivity. Babylonian captivity because they forgot God. They elevated idols. And so God punishes them. Uh, I would simply remind you that forgetfulness of God is a rope of ruin. Uh, You don't study your Bible, you slowly begin to forget God is, you're simply wrapping a rope around your own neck. It's a cause, I think, of the greatest of consternation, anxiety, of forgetting God. Let's, Grace Bible Church, practice the reverse. Remember God every day, all the time, throughout the day. May God be in all of our thoughts. Let's look at the modifiers of the theology here of who God is. Your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth. Again, another repetitive merism. The maker of heaven and earth, and therefore everything in between. Uh, It's, uh, to me, the greatest key of promise that all of us carry in our pocket. That God is the sovereign. He controls everything, the events that come and go. Uh, he controls nations, prime ministers and kings and senates and houses of representative, federal government, local government. God is sovereign over them all. And we are his sons. It's a great key of promise. Yeah. Given the doctrine of creation, it means that God rules. He perpetually rules. He doesn't run for office. He is king, and he manifests his royalty throughout all of the heavens and the earth. Again, it's a key of promise for us uh, that God is the sovereign king. In terms of the nation of Israel, what he did in the past in destroying Pharaoh, he can do again in destroying the emperor of Babylon and setting the nation free. Uh, Of course, in the theology of Isaiah, restoration encompasses a new creation. Uh, that God is able for that matter to restore the nation to the land. He has done it in the past. He will do it again. It's our reminder that His purposes are unstoppable unfailing when it comes to redeeming His people. Uh, In that sense, we cannot be lost. He never forgets us and we should do the same. Never forget Him. They will be set free and as God provisioned the nation in the first Exodus, uh, so we read in verse 14, he will provision the nation again. Uh, Nor will your bread be lacking. Uh, For the nation of Israel and their uh, historical theology encompasses the notion that when they were thirsty, God gave them drink, and when they were hungry, uh, God gave them bread and meat. God provisions his people in light of who he is. He says, you will not die and you will not lack bread. Essentially, theologically, what the prophet is doing for us today as Christians is telling us to take the big view. Oftentimes, uh, we have to deal with small problems in life or big problems, and we begin to shrink our view. We begin to forget God. Take the big view. Understand who God is. Understand his unfailing purposes to redeem his people. Understand something else because of who he is. He cannot be stopped. None of his people will be lost. He will rescue them all. That big view, I think, is one of the great keys of the promises of God uh, to set us free from the tyranny of the present. Uh, It's a key to Doubting Castle and the fear of giant despair. One of the reasons at Grace Bible Church we place a high premium on theology uh, because it's a study of God. Uh, you forget God, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Uh, we, we live, if you will, uh, to promote the study of the great God of heaven, of who He is and what He does for His people. The second promise, uh, beyond the certainty of God in effecting restoration, verses 12 to 14, is the provision of God's servant in verses 15 and 16. It is our reminder in terms of New Testament theology that it is the servant, our servant, the Lord Jesus, the greatest of keys that we carry in our faith. The ultimate provision for restoration beginning with spiritual renewal and reconciliation with God. The Son is the key to our reconciliation uh, with God, uh, to satisfying eternally the liability of our sin. Uh, I'm I'm reminded that most Christians don't have that peace. They have this small notion that Christ died for their past sin and their present sin. Well, if that's the case, no one's saved. Because it's our future sin, but uh, the Son paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. The greatest key of all time, being reconciled to God, being at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, for the nation, they will be set free because of God. The God is the cause of their liberation. Uh, he, he describes himself again here in this text, uh, another uh, reminder of uh, the importance of theology. Uh, that He is the one who stirs up the sea, verse 15, and makes its waves to roar. The Lord of hosts is His name. Again, a reminder of the theology of God. He blows, if you will, and the waves roar. Uh, The uh, import for uh, the Israelites in the Babylonian captivity is, of course, what God did with the Red Sea. He commanded and the waves stood on end make a pathway for the children of Israel to pass safely through. It's the same for us. He makes a way through the waves of deception that we might hold fast to the truth and the knowledge of who God is, the greatness of His work in providing for us the promise of restoration and effecting it for us beginning with His Son. Again, the sovereignty of God in restoration. Good reminder to this again, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 5, the 22nd verse. Uh, somewhat uh, fond of this verse in light of uh, our contemporary fear, uh, uh, worldwide fear, if you will, over uh, the failing of our environment and how we'll all be swept away by the rising oceans. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 22. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble in my presence? For I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea. An eternal decree so that it cannot cross over it. Though the waves toss, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot cross over it. i are just reminded of that when I read all of this. Again, I'm for good stewardship in, in the environment, but this notion that someday the ice caps are all going to melt and and we here in Oklahomans are going to have to build canoes, and we'll never make it. God has established a boundary. That boundary won't be crossed. God controls, always controls. Again, I understand we're to be good stewards. I encourage you to promote stewardship over the world in which you live. But never forget, the ice caps are not going to sweep us away because God has set a boundary around the sea and that is, again, the great beaches that we sometimes long to go to as a reminder that it is God who creates, it is God who controls. Again, all of this, the marvels of the sovereignty of God. Uh, The sea in the scriptures is often portrayed as a place of evil, Uh, the abode of the sea monster. God controls them both. He has no competitors. Uh, And this is Confirmed in the following description, the Lord of Hosts is His name. Uh, we've looked at this ascription uh, before. Uh, it is really a military metaphor. The word for host is really encompasses uh, every army or navy or air force that has ever marched or uh, set itself to sea or that flies in the air. God is the Lord of every force of all of the world. Uh, He is in command of them all. All are subordinate to him. In the case of Israel, Egyptians, Assyrians, the Babylonians, but in our case, the Brits, the Norks, the Americans, and so forth. One of the first things you learn uh, in the military is a chain of command. Uh, Every uh, military unit I ever served in Had pictures on its walls of the chain of command. Save one. There's no picture of God. But theologically, He is at the pinnacle. He is above them all. He rules over them all. He commands them all. And they are all, to a man, to a woman, subordinate to Him. Again, no picture because God is a spirit. But nonetheless, as Christians, we understand that greatest of all realities. Now, We sometimes think that our destinies uh, are in the hands of men. In an earthly sense, there's a measure to that, but you and I serve a greater God who rules over the world. He is the Lord of hosts, and as such, uh, God will provide. The particular promise in this text is, again, as I've mentioned earlier, the key of the great promise of, the servant's son. If you look at uh, verse 16, uh, a reference to the coming servant's son, I put my words in your mouth and have covered you the sh- with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to found the earth, and to say to Zion, you are my people. In other words, God's going to affect restoration by a servant. Uh, uh, this is the language, if you recall, of... Isaiah chapter 49, the second servant song in verse 2. Isaiah chapter 49 in the second verse. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has concealed me. He has also made me a select arrow, and he has hidden me in his quiver. Again, begins to reminder to us that God is a servant who is going to effect the greatest restoration of all time. Messiah brings to us the word of God. He teaches uh, the sword that comes out of his mouth. Uh, He also defeats all of our enemies. Uh, The Puritans remind us of the reality that Jesus saves us as a prophet and that he reveals the will of God for our salvation. And that God covers him with the shadow of his hand. God protects his servant. Uh, All in the entirety of the earthly life of our Savior, God protected him until, of course, the cross. And even that was an event to affect the greatest of all restorations. Uh, Again, uh, God saving us in Christ, who is our great King, who will defeat all of our enemies. All will be vanquished. Uh, None can rise up against us. Uh, Great promise of uh, our our Lord to the Apostle Peter, uh, respecting the church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it because of Christ our King. The purpose of the servant is stated in three infinitives in our text. Again, Isaiah 51.16, to establish the heavens, uh, to plant the heavens. It's a reference to creation. Our Lord Christ, the agent of the physical creation, Genesis 1. We know that from John 1. He was the word that created, that spoke, and the universe was framed. Uh, Secondly, he founded uh, the earth. Again, it's another merism, figure of speech. Two polar opposites are written of, but uh, the point of the figure is everything in between. Heaven and earth. God controls everything in between. Our Lord is sovereign creator. Uh, Lastly, uh, uh, the third uh, infinitive, to say to Zion, you are my people. Uh, It's the emphatic certainty that God will save his people. Uh, Zion will be repopulated, reconstituted, and reclaimed. Again, that's going to happen to Israel as they return home, but only in a very partial vague sense. The ultimate reality is in Christ. Uh, Something of this, I think, in the beautiful text of Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 3. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort her waste places, and her wilderness he will make like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. That you and I are, as Christians, as the sons of God, uh, are walking on an intractable course It will end in the garden of God, in the place where God affects our final restoration, eternity. Uh, The distant fulfillment for us uh, is in the spiritual creation, uh, the new creation. Uh, Our reminder from the theology of Isaiah that the servant is future, uh, but the distant fulfillment is in the new creation. Again, it comes to us as a key of promise, uh, reminder of the greatness of God. Let's let's look at our Lord as the Creator. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, his epistle to the church at Colossae. Colossians chapter one. Our Lord Christ's sovereignty over the physical creation. Colossians chapter one verses fifteen to seventeen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That our Lord Christ was the agent of the physical creation, all for his glory. Uh, But then Paul turns us to the new creation, verses 18 to 20. Uh, The new creation that begins with the church. He is also head of the body, the church. And he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. To him I say, whether things on earth or things in the heaven. Again, the reference is to Christ, the last Adam. Uh, Our reminder from the book of Genesis that Adam was made in the image of God. Christ is the image of God as God. Uh, As well, Christ is prior to the creation. Uh, I say that because there's a number of, if you will, American denominations that hold that Christ uh, is a created being. Again, uh, flies totally in the face of the theology of the Apostle Paul, of who Christ is and what he uh, has done. Uh, And the new creation, of course, for us begins with the resurrection, where he defeats death With the effect of reconciling us to God. In other words, for us, the new creation has begun in Christ. Uh, That's, I think, again, the theology of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Uh, Secondly, He has reconciled us to God. Again, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The new creation has begun, started. It's going to run its course until eternal glory encompasses the people of God. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. The old way of life... And all that it represents, anger and malice and cheating and lying, all of the elements of of the old creation have passed away. And behold, new things have come in Christ. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them he has committed to us word of reconciliation, the new creation, the great key of the gospel, that God does not count our trespasses against us. Think of all that that means. All of the world today struggling with guilt, struggling over things that they should not have done or things that they should have done but they didn't do. Uh, The entire world seemingly is uh, caught up in uh, some great passion for a chemical relief to the vagaries of their life. And you and I need nothing of that because our God does not count our trespasses against us, past, present, and future. If you're not a Christian, you don't have that key in your pocket. You haven't been reconciled to God. He is at war with you and you with Him. It's a great invitation to come to the Savior, to confess Christ as King, the Lord of the church, the Lord of the new creation, and to come to the knowledge of God who does not count our trespasses against us. Great promise of the Gospel. I mean, all of us uh, can in a moment Think of the great deeds that we have done contrary to the law of God. But this promise covers them all. They're not counted against us. We are, as the sons of God, forgiven forever. Ought to unlock sometimes the anguish of our anxieties that we are, through Jesus Christ, in possession of peace with God and the war is over with forever, based upon the work of Christ. It's our key. Let's look at a couple of doors it will open. Perhaps the greatest of doors. Revelation chapter 21. It's not just a key of forgiveness. It's a key to the future. Revelation 21.1, And I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. You will skip down to verse 4. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. A key to living forever in the glories of the sons of God. Again, a reminder of the great keys that we possess in Christ, the key of the promise of God. Revelation 22.3, There shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His bondservant shall serve Him. We will be there. We will get there. God will make it so. Uh, He forgets none of those who are His. Uh, He will restore us in effect. Uh, our complete, total restoration. The curse will be wrung out of the creation. no longer disease, no longer health problems or challenges. Uh, God will fix it all. And in Christ, we have the key to get us there to open that door. Greatest of all promises. Imagine a world without the curse. And imagine that uh, we will be there and he will make it so. Uh, The curse will be absent, vacant, in full consummation of uh, the new creation. Our enemies will try to stop us. They cannot, they will not prevail. As I have suggested, the gates of hell will not prevail uh, against the church. Well, if you're not a Christian, certainly there's sufficient warrant to come to Christ, to come to know the forgiveness of sin, uh, the promise of... uh, a glorious eternity. Uh, But if you're like me, you sometimes dealing with the vagaries of life, you you become uh, uh, the prisoner of your anxieties. They become to you like a giant despair. Uh, They have their own (laughs) whip. Sometimes uh, they beat you. You struggle. How can I ever get out of this mess? Uh, How can I ever survive? Is, is there ever a door that will ever open for me? Well, of course, uh, in our fallen natures, we're sometimes more prone to the negative. And so Isaiah the prophet confronts us. Uh, he gives us not just a key, but a ring of keys, a reminder of the greatness of God, uh, the provision of the servant as our creator, and the knowledge that uh, he is sovereign. Uh, he will make a way through this world and see us uh, to the end. Uh, like Israel, we sometimes despair, become forlorn. Uh, we sometimes focus on the fact that everything is unraveling it will break. We need to remember the key chain that God gives to us. Isaiah chapter 51 is such a key chain that in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I think the greatest of all possessions of all of life uh, to be forgiven. And therefore, what will be is definite and certain. We're the sons of God forever because God has forgiven all of our sins. There is no chance because God is sovereign. He controls the maker of heaven and earth. And there are no mistakes. We are his sons. We're to trust him and to walk by faith. And we are also, as the sons of God, heirs of the final cure and everlasting glory. May that be our comfort this day. Uh, perhaps uh, each of us, in our own way, uh, need to, uh, spiritually speaking, uh, reach into our pockets and remind ourselves that uh, we have the keys. The keys of life. Uh, the keys of the cure of, uh, of the fall. And the key, ultimately, that we are His because of Christ. Uh, the greatest of all gifts, and it's the sons of God for his heirs, Uh, the greatest of all the promises. Uh, Let's use those keys. 2018. I know we all frown. I know we all cry and weep and shed tears. Life is that way. The curse continues but for a season. Uh, But we have the greatest of keys. Let's remember them.
0: Use them. Learn to smile. May God bless you.